is up, everybody? Let me put my ears in here so I can hear myself and then hear our guest, Anthony Sanfilippo. It is Park Sportsbook Presents. Stick to Hockey Live. I can see that the idiocy is already out today on Twitter. Boy, it doesn't take long sometimes for one just absolute idiot to say something and then somebody else to jump on his dumb friggin' bandwagon. <laughs> oh, I love you people on Twitter. You like these troll idiots, like the cobs, more like the knob. This guy, I had to go look and see what this guy was tweeting. I'll explain in a minute when Anthony comes on exactly what I'm talking about because I had the dude muted. But Bill Meltzer responded to some guy about something and um, <laughs> just it's unbelievable. But anyway, it is Park Sports Sports Presents Stick to Hockey Live uh, Monday edition, uh, episode 25. Jason Martinez, Anthony Sanfilippo from Crossing Broad uh, going to join us coming up momentarily. And let me tell you about Parks before Ink gets on. Because our great sponsor, Park Sportsbook, is the greatest. And like a couple of weeks ago, you had the, the big game, the big football game, right? We're not allowed to say that because rules in today's society are so stupid that I can't say it uh, in attachment with Parks. But you had that big football game that uh, the Rams ended up winning. And that's one of the most wagered on sports events. The second most wagered on, maybe even more so because there's more games, is the thing at the beginning of the month of March with Madness. And that it, uh, uh, the the field of 64, six, whatever many teams it is now, that's also a hugely wagered on thing. Not to mention the NHL growing in huge popularity when it comes to waging. And we have Tone Stakes on every Thursday to give you plays. And the place to do it is Park Sportsbook because it's simple to use. It's easy. You just download the app and you put it on your phone, your, your iPhone or your Android. And then you open up an account, you make a deposit, and your first bet is risk-free up to $500. And it couldn't be simpler. So just grab the app. Even if you're not ready to dive all the way in just yet, just start checking it out. Okay, that, oh, that's easy to do. I'm interested in that. I'd be interested to see a certain player going over you know, 12 and a half points in, in a basketball game. I'd be interested to see over five and a half assists. I'd be interested to see that uh, I think the exact score of this hockey game is going to be four to two. And I'll get plus $1,300 odds on it. I'm interested to see that, hey, if this dude, who I think is playing pretty good right now, is going to score first in this game, I'm going to get plus 1200 on that, on my money. So check it out. And you can bet all the traditional ways as well. Props, parlays, money lines, uh, puck lines, spreads, you name it. It's all there for you. And it's all on the Park Sportsbook app. So grab it, download it. When you're ready, deposit, open up an account. And no promo required, and your first bet will be risk-free up to $500. It's that simple. So make sure you get it. Park Sportsbook app on uh, iOS and on Android. And uh, download it and get an account and, get, and take advantage of the $500 risk-free offer for the, all this hoops action that's coming up here in the month of March, not to mention the continuation of the NHL season. Uh, maybe eventually baseball. We'll see. I'll believe it when I see it. Sport can't get out of its own way. Uh, and make sure you follow Parks on their social channels, at Park Sportsbook. On Twitter, follow them on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, and you'll uh, get great content there, daily specials, and much more. But let's get down to the business here on episode 25 of Stick to Hockey Live, and uh, a guy that I've known for a very long time. Uh, we uh, worked together in a past life at uh, a, a radio station at WIP many years ago. He's been covering the Flyers for years. He covers the Flyers for Crossing Broad right now, and he joins us on Stick to Hockey Live. It is Anthony Sanfilippo. What's going on, Ant? How you doing, Jay? Good to see you, my friend. I'm doing well. I, I'm just, I was musing at the very beginning of the episode that 
you know, even even though it's just after lunchtime, that the idiots are out on Twitter already because Nate Thompson returned <laughs> to practice. Mind you. Uh, uh, wait, let me ask you a question. Is there ever a time the idiots aren't out on Twitter? Well, they, they seem to really come out here. The, so, so Bill replied to this guy um, that tweeted, uh, it's like the Cobbs or something. And I don't, I, I haven't blocked or not blocked, but muted. And the guy is saying that basically, why are you reporting this? So what the guy said to, and he tagged me, I have to, un, I have to unmute him for a second here so I can view his tweet. There we go. He said, Flyers beat writers are the absolute worst in the game. You have a bad team that's not going anywhere right now. Instead, they're talking about how Nate Thompson coming back helps this team. Are you kidding me? Let the kids play. And Bill goes, really? Find me the quotes. All, all the all people have said is that he's back on non-contact practice. Yeah. And then some other jerk off. <laughs> I let the thing I love about this podcast is that I can call a guy a jerk off. Eric go. Burgess, this guy, Burge the goalie, says he's right. Change your narrative. Stop talking about playing the kids and build for the future rather than talking about old veterans. But I'm pretty sure I listen to your podcast. I'm pretty sure you've been talking about playing the kids and what the, you need to do in the future, not this other bullshit that these idiots are talking that's, about. That's, that's right. Jesus Christ. <laughs> You guys, you know, it cracks me up though. Like I, I, to be honest with you, like I, I sometimes like giving it back to these guys. Yeah, I, I really do. I, I really do. I really feel like sometimes I, when I engage with them and then it really kind of catches them off guard because they don't expect it. Right. Mm-hmm. They, they think that they're, they're, they're flexing the Twitter muscles. And then all of a sudden you get a little shove back and it's like, uh, yeah. <laughs> now what, what do I do Ooh. now? I, I used my one good line. What do I do now? Yeah, so or the double a, down, you know, they go yeah. double down on it. <laughs> I get a kick out of that sometimes. So, I, you know, it's all beauty in the eye of the beholder, I guess. Yeah, there's no beauty in, <laughs> it, you know, in talking about uh, Twitter. And, and look, there's a lot of good people that you interact with on there. Sure, and, sure. you know, generally, you know, good people and, and those things. But with Twitter, because of the anonymity of it, there's a lot of just uneducated assholes as well. So, but anyway. Absolutely. Uh, I, I don't want to waste any more breath on these idiots. So, um, you know, I wanted to get you on today because I want to talk about a lot of things. And kind of where I want to start, though, is I, I actually don't want to start with the Flyers. I want to start with what's going on in the world and with Russia and the Ukraine. And I saw what Dominic Koshik had to say. I'm not sure if you saw yeah, that. Yeah, I saw it. I mean, pretty heavy-handed comments. Um, you know, the IIHF is going to probably make a ruling today at some point, maybe even getting ready to at this moment, that, you know, are going to sanction Russia out of some international competition. Mm-hmm. Uh, the worlds and obviously the world juniors and and those kind of things, the under 18s, the women's, you know, international events as well. But, you know, this year Russian players are playing here, but what Hashik was kind of alluding to it was, you know, basically, you know, Russian players shouldn't be able to come over here and make money right now. And there's different, you know, Ovechkin is a Russian player that has supported Putin in the past. He's, he had his comments last week, which were kind of vague, and then you have players like Panarin who have been very outspoken. I don't recommend him going back there ever because he's going to get a pair of cement boots if he does. Uh, that's been very critical of Putin. When you look at all this, how, how should this kind of be handled going forward? Yeah, it's a, it's a very fine line. It's a tricky subject. I, I think that, you know, when you look at sanctioning the country from international competition, I think that's one thing, right? That's a that's a sanction of the country from participating in a competition that's country versus country, right? Yeah. The, the, what these guys are doing here in the NHL, 
this is their livelihood. This is their jobs. This is where they have chosen to make their living and chosen to work. And to sit there and suggest that they shouldn't be allowed, that they should be suspended immediately because of the acts of someone else that is outside of their, yeah, a (laughs) lunatic outside of their control, um, I think is, I mean, that goes too far. I mean, really, in in a lot of ways, I mean, that's, that's, I don't know. I, I look authoritarian. at it. Well, it's a thought. Not only is it a thought, authoritarian as I, as I try to speak it, but it's also discriminatory. I mean, yeah. you're basically saying, Oh, you're Russian. You can't play. I mean, that's, that, that would be like, you know, us you know, sitting around and picking another, any other nationality or any other culture and say, eh, yeah, we don't want you to play. And because we don't like the way things are in your pre Jackie Robinson, almost. In a lot of ways, it is. Yeah. In a lot of ways, it is. So, I mean, I think that that goes too far. Um, it, it would be different if you had a player who was coming out in full support of Putin right now and saying, this is awesome, you know, Russia number one, you know, blow up Ukraine. You had, If you had a player going to those extremes, I could see maybe trying to sanction that specific individual player yeah. uh, on that basis. But I, I can't, for the life of me, justify taking all the russians out of the sport all at once because they're just here playing hockey and doing a job well one of the things though is going to be for the guys that don't have dual citizenship will they be granted a visa a work visa next year to play yeah that's part of the equation too that is part of the equation and that's that's tough man i mean it's tough it's it's hard to you know we've had this in in the nhl in a lot of ways pre um, you know, pre was a Fetisov and, and, and when yeah. he was the first one here in the eighties, like, um, like we had that, there were no Russian players, like yeah. the, they weren't allowed in the NHL. Um, it was, and it wasn't that they long defect ago. just to come. Yeah. They had a defect to come here. I mean, a great movie. If anybody ever wants to watch is the Russian documentary five. about the Russian five, man. I mean, yeah. it's really well done, really well made, really kind of shows you what they had to go through. Um, he literally had to sneak out of a yeah. hotel into a a, a, a hidden a, car. A, yeah, into an unmarked car and hide. Right? Hide yeah. out from the from their countrymen. So, yeah. um, do we need to go back to that? Like, I mean, I you know, I, I like to think that here we are, forty some forty years later. Like, aren't we past that, Jay? Like, yeah. aren't we beyond? That point in the in society, I, I would like to believe we are, but man, you know, and, and I tell this to you know, and I say it to the kids all the time, and, and you know, they they laugh at dad, you know, because you know we're we're getting old now, Jay, but yeah. they laugh at us when we say, Hey, those who don't pay attention to history are doomed to repeat it. And and here we are as a society repeating history that we never, ever, ever, ever should be repeating. And hopefully we get it squared away. So yeah, it's, it's not tough. as simple as saying, hey, if you want to play here, you have to renounce Russia. Right. Because they do have family living there. There's ramifications to the yes. uh, a very famous person renouncing their countryhood, uh, you know, all uh, that stuff. Yeah. And if I could, if I could, I, you know, it was interesting because, you know, the Caps were here this weekend. Yeah. Um, and I had an opportunity to talk to uh, Tarek Al-Bashir from the Washington Post, who was the primary guy asking Alex Ovechkin the questions? There were a couple of reporters in that room, but but Tarek was the one. I think he asked four of the of the seven questions that were asked of Ovi, and I I gave him props. I said, "Listen, man, I said I just wanted to come up and, and tell you that I really respected the way that you asked the questions." Yeah. I said because you could have you, you could have put him in a real bad spot, and, and you didn't. I mean, you asked the questions that had to be asked, but you didn't push it to the point where 
you put his, him at risk or his family home in Russia at risk. And I think yeah. that was the most important thing. And he appreciated it. And he said, you know, he thought about it. It was tough. He said he thought about it. He thought about how he was going to ask those questions, like more so than normal. Because normally, you know, we go into a scrum and it's just like, oh, it's just kind of conversational. I mean, you might know what you want to ask, but you don't have it written out specifically. This is how yeah. I'm going to ask the question. It's more of a conversational tone. And, and maybe in that case, you ask it a certain way and you put a guy in a bad position. Um, so Tarek did a real nice job with that. And, and, you know, but he said, he said, even Ovi was, you know, they had a conversation afterwards and, um, like Ovi knew he had to do it, but yep. it was very uncomfortable. Yeah, it was. And, and he's trying to, to, to kind of skirt a line that's very difficult to skirt. And I mean, at one point he said, you know, that's my president, mm-hmm. you know, and you know, he, he is patriotic. There's, there's been no NHL player that I can ever recall that took more pride in playing for his country than him. I mean, every year he get knocked out of the playoffs. Two days later, he's on the ice playing in the world for yeah. the country. So yeah. it's very important to him. And he's one of the, the leaders in the NHL and the PA of uh, making sure that players can play for their country and best on best in the Olympics. Didn't work out this year, obviously. Uh, but we'll see how that goes going forward. Um, let, let's talk about the win. because, And I kind of term the win as um, a well-earned win. Uh, because they did a couple things in the game. There's a key segments in games have been a, a massive problem for this team. They score 11 seconds in, and then right away they go on the PK. And I know their PK was ranked 26 going in, but they haven't had Oshi for a good period of time. They didn't have Backstrom. They didn't have that full because Netsoff, Ovechkin, Backstrom, you know, Oshi and John Carlson unit intact all season. But they did this weekend. And you go right on the PK. And you go, okay, if they're going to tie the game, it's, oh, no, here we go again. Goal given up right before grabbing one. So that's a key segment that they survived. And then later when McEwen gets in the fight with Tom Wilson, he picks up the extra roughing call. Mm -hmm. They go on the PK. And right after the PK that they kill again, they score a goal to go up 2 nothing. Even though they didn't score on the 5-on-3 in the second period, which is a key segment, those two things are why I kind of term it a well-earned win. Yeah, well, I mean, there's, I, I, we could talk about a few other things as well, but I mean, certainly, you're right. Those two penalty kills were huge. Um, it just, it's just a, where they occurred because those were times in games. If you look at any any one of the three extended winless skids that the Flyers have had this year, the ten, the thirteen, and the six game streaks, um, any one of them, they would be in a situation like that and then give up the goal. Or yeah. give up a goal twice, right? Um, and get behind in in, uh, in that game. And you say, man, they were playing well, and now all of a sudden this happens, and what you know, and now they're behind again, and then you know they end up losing that game. So you you look at those kills, and you say those were important, certainly important parts of that game on Saturday. Um, but I also looked at it and and said, you know, there were a couple other things that really impressed. I thought their first, first of all, their first period was excellent. They it was an excellent first period, yeah. really good first period. Second period, they weren't as good, even though they, you know, kept the lead. Well, kept the lead there. And the third period, this is the interesting one because I, you know, I actually asked Mike Yo a follow up question about this because he, he would, he had said that they still weren't aggressive enough, and I agreed with him. I mean, that, well, I think they only had what like five shots on goal for the period, so it wasn't mm-hmm. a really, you know, they really weren't pushing for that third goal. But what they did different. And I think is the the reason they hold on and win the game and not give up the tying goal like they did to Carolina and then eventually lose in overtime is they forced Washington to then play 200 feet. And it wasn't just a dump in play 200 feet, but the defensive pressure 
came up through the neutral zone and the forecheck kind of got started. I mean, they may not have been getting winning puck battles, but they forced Washington to have to make their way through all five players to get down the other end of the ice. Yeah. And I think that that extended defense limited the chances that Washington had. I mean, the best play of all in the third period, well, besides Sanheim making that save on Kuznetsov with the uh, with the goalie pulled, but um, was Ivan Provorov on that three-on-two, could have been a four-on-three, depending on how you looked at it. And Ovechkin's got the puck on the wall, coming down the right wing. And he just took away, he didn't do anything, he just it was simple, Jay. It was a simple play. He just took away time and space, put us act he had an active stick out to take away that passing lane, yeah. forced Ovechkin further down the wall till he got to a spot where he didn't have a, really a shot. And and then Ovechkin held on to the puck and then spun back around and came back the other way. But it took away the odd man rush. It killed yeah. the rush. And then eventually the defense was able to get the puck back and get it out of the zone. So like that simple little play that nobody's going to talk about, nobody's going to say, look at it. But there's Provorov making a doing the little thing that you're supposed to do and not going beyond what he's supposed to do and doing it right. And, it you know, that's a play like that helps you win a game. Bill and I actually talked about not that specific play, but just talked about his bounce back because he came off a game where he was a dash four. Mm -hmm. I think that's only happened three other prior times in his career in 400 plus games. Um, and, I, and I thought he played really well. And kind of what I said to Bill was, you know, what I thought when I think he gets into trouble is he tries to over defend. Yes. Bill called it. He goes for the five run home run. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Where you make a mistake and then you try and get it all back and more sometimes. And and when you're playing with maybe and maybe this isn't the right term, but an inferior partner of the guy that's supposed to be there, Ryan Ellis. And sometimes you'll do that. You'll try and do your job and their job. And now I got two guys not doing their job because of that. But I thought that he played a simple game, controlled the left side of the ice and did his job. And he's got it. The guy on the other side has got to do his job. But I thought it was a good bounce back. But even better than that, though, and I thought in the game, I thought Rasmus Ristolainen checked every box of what he needed to bring to the table for this Flyers team in that game. And I think he sat there with a Sharpie and checked every single box, physicality, stretching the ice, being a constant uh, threat physically on the ice, you know, kind of taking the mindset of the opposition to worry more about him and what he's doing than exactly how he's playing. And I thought he was just, I thought he was excellent in the game, probably his best game of the season. Yeah, he really was. And, you know, and that's kind of the, the play that you want to, you want out of him all the time. And, it, you know, obviously Washington's going to bring out the best in him. Yeah. Just because of the way they play, not because of there's some kind of rivalry or whatever, but that Washington's a heavy team. They play big, they play physical, and, and that's that's right up his alley. I mean, he even said it after the game. That's how I believe hockey's supposed to be played, right? So, I mean, he's he's looking for that kind of game on a regular basis. Um, and he makes a great play that leads to the the uh, game winning goal. game winning goal, right? Yeah. Um, behind the net. And and Yo mentioned that as well, but he also pointed out he says, like, go back and watch. He said he killed Washington chances like four or five times. Yeah. Just getting going back there, taking a player off the puck and getting the puck, starting the starting the breakout the other way. Like just simple again, simple things that we don't really pay attention to. It's not, we're not tracking these things. We're not tracking breakouts, you know, and Rasmus being involved in it. We're not tracking, you know, him getting shots in the offensive end. He was on the five on three, which I was kind of surprised about a little bit. Mm. Um, but uh no, I mean, really, I mean, he these little plays. And I think that that's kind of what, you know, they preach all the time. 
and you don't want to get too caught up in it, Jay. I mean, it was one game in a, in a bad season. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's one of those games where you look at and say, take this and, and st- you know store it away. You know, put it in your back pocket. The next time you're having a bad game, pull it out. What did we do right that day? Yeah. Let's figure. Let's go back to that. Repeat. Let's it. Go back to that. Yeah, go back yeah. and do that again. I mean, yeah. I think that at least can get you feeling like okay, this group, whoever survives this purge that's coming, um, can still lean on games like that in the future and say we can be a better team if we play this way. Yeah, and speaking of Rasmus, I know you had some reporting about some contract negotiations with Ristolainen. Mm-hmm. A lot of people freaked a lot of people out because of yeah. the, no, the the number that you reported. I think it was what six point three, six times six point three, six two five. But yeah, six two yeah. five was the actual. Yeah. So you know they want to keep him, but there is a line. There is there's a tipping point on every player, and with him, there's a tipping point, and they're probably going to have to reshape a lot of their right side here because uh, they're probably going to move him at the deadline. Provided they don't sign him, Justin Braun will likely get moved. Ryan Ellis is a big question mark when it comes to health. Um, you know, do, do you get the sense that it's a foregone conclusion that he's getting moved, or is there a sense that there still could be room for a deal here? I I, I keep going. So it's funny because I keep going back and forth, and the reason I keep going back and forth is because I keep getting changing information from within the organization. I do know for a fact, one hundred percent, they offered him six years, thirty-seven and a half, and he said no. Um, and the reason that he said no was he and his agent, Mike Liute, um, they had said that they had felt that if he's able to play in the playoffs, he can prove what he's worth as a defenseman in this league and can could even get more. Yeah. Um, they think he's a top pair guy um, in the playoffs. That's their belief. Um I don't know if I go that far. I probably I think trading for him in that role, but yeah, yeah, but but I'm just saying. But they think that he could show that, you know, hey, look at the way he plays in the playoffs. On your team, he could be a top pair next year, and you could pay him that way, right? I mean, I think that that's what they're kind of going for. Yeah. So I think that he's he was he was willing to gamble on himself a little bit to try and get more money. But then when you think, when you reconsider, when you look at it, you look at the the what the cap situation is going to be. It's going to go up, but ever so slightly, maybe a million bucks. Um, and the fact that the escrow is still what it is. Um, and I don't know if the flyers offer. The one thing I don't know is how that money was spread out. What, were they willing to backload it like the agents want? Um, and, when the so escrow that, lessens. Yeah. Right. Or are they going to or do they, Are they saying, hey, look, we're giving you more money, but we're going to put it up front. Right. I mean, because it's better for us. So, I mean, I don't know how that broke down, um, but now I'm hearing that Rasmus may be willing to reconsider and come back. So now I got to be back at 50 50 on this, Jay. I really do, because you don't know at this point. I mean, he likes what I do know is he does like the team. He does like his teammates and, and the people here. He does like playing here. He does want to be on a play on a winner. He's tired of playing for I mean, when you play in Buffalo for seven years, right? I mean, like you got yeah. you got to expect that you want to win at some point. Um, so he does want that too, and he does think he can maybe get a little bit more. But I think that the Flyers' offer is higher than he would have gotten. I do. I think that he would have gotten probably five years at six million a year. He's making five point four now, right? So you get a little bit of a bump, and you get the fit, and you get five years. The Flyers give him an extra year and an extra two hundred and fifty grand a season, so it ends up at when you add it all together, it's like almost an extra seven million dollars. Like, why 
why not just take it, man? Yeah, like, why risk it? Yeah, why risk it? If you're, uh, I'm looking at it from risk alignment's perspective, not necessarily the Flyers' perspective. Why would you give it up? And so maybe, maybe after thinking about it for for a few days, and maybe he's like, eh, maybe that is going to be the best deal I'm going to get. So it's going to be interesting, you know. And, and you know, the Flyers were talking with Montreal, um, Petrie, about Petrie, um, who makes ironically the same exact money. Yeah, six just turned five. thirty-four though. But we, yeah, but it's short. It would be for three years instead of six. So that's the only difference. They're both right-hand shot defensemen. Petrie would, if they trade Ristolainen, and Petrie would probably move us into your second pair, right? Yep. Um, so it's interesting that that kind of that information kind of gets floated out mm-hmm. after Ristolainen turns it down. Maybe it's almost like, oh, okay, they've already moved on from me. Oh, well, well let me rethink this kind of thing. Yeah, there's so it's part of the option. Yeah, there's there's a game. It's part of the game that's being played, and I think that that's kind of what, where the Flyers and, and Ristolainen are. I don't think that this is something that gets settled until right up against the deadline. I think he's. I'm back to the thought that he's this year Scott Lawton. They're either yeah. going to trade him or he's going to sign that contract on that day. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. And you know, Petrie, you know, that also provides them another thing with a guy like Petrie. And at first, at first blush, you kind of go, seriously, 34 year old guy making 6.25. And look at Petrie last year in those playoffs and how was good great. he was. I it mean, was he was fantastic. Yeah. And if Ellis goes down and you have to put Petrie on your top pair with Ivan Provorov for a period of time, it's not season over. Right. You know. So right. you're, not, you're not so one player dependent on your for your decor to really screw it up if if Ellis has a period of time or you know who knows what his health is. I think it's like a tenuous basket to put your eggs in. Yeah. Um. Let's talk about Giroux because yeah. He you know and I I I feel like I know with just about every fiber of my being that he's waving the no move clause. I know he sure. said he hasn't talked to Chuck yet, but they've talked. <laughs> let's, let's let's be honest here he's you're not going to hear anything of any conversation until he's out the door because it's the way he is as a player and he doesn't want the other guys on the team feeling like he's not here mentally or he's not committed right um but when you look at it what's the latest you're hearing on the Giroux front because you know Colorado is nice and everything and that's been a, a big focus I've always been more focused on a team like Florida or Carolina for me than even Colorado yeah, well, I think both of those teams are going to be in the mix. I really do. Um, and I think Giroux would go to either one. I agree. Um, and I, 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 but you look at Florida, and I think Florida is in a worse situation when it comes to draft picks than Colorado is. Mm. And so you that's not what they're looking for, right? Well, it's, it, it is, but it isn't. I mean, I think it's, it, the, I think it's one or the other. I think it's like you either, if you're going to give up, if you're going to give us a draft pick, we want a first rounder in 23. Yeah, because 23 is the I mean, you've heard about it. The 23 draft from for all intent and purposes is like that generational draft that's that comes around once every 20 years. That's got 30 great players in it. Right. I mean, and and so that's kind of the Getzloff Perry draft. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. One of those, right? But yeah, that was the right. that was the Richards draft, right? Richards Carter. Richards Carter, yeah. That was that draft as well, right? That's the O three draft. It was yeah. unbelievable. Yeah. So I think that they, you know, that everyone's saying that this is that kind of draft. Well, if that's the case, and you're willing to give me a first round pick in that draft, okay, then I'm listening. But it doesn't have to be. They're willing to take prospects and NHL ready players as well. So I wouldn't be surprised if Florida's offer is different than Colorado's offer is different than Carolina's offer and, and Chuck and, and, and his team has to sit there and break it down and say, okay, which is best for us. And I think that that's ultimately what the way it's going to be played out. It's, I think, I think that 
you know, there's going to be about three or maybe a fourth team gets involved. Um, and Chuck will talk and get the, get some offers and then I'll go back and say, all right, here's what we're working with. Claude, which one, which is your preference? We'll try and get you there. If we can't, we can't. If you can put these in some kind of order for me, and then we'll work it from there and, and work our way back, you know, to, to you and try and do 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 right by you if we can. And I think yeah. that that's going to be the case. And I think that you know you said it two three weeks ago. He's going to play a thousand games here. Yeah, he's going to get March seventeenth. It's going to he's going to play he's going to play game one thousand in Philadelphia. That may be his last game in Philadelphia, um, but he's going to he's going to get there. It's going to be the Cole Hamels no hitter, right? I mean, it's what it's going to be the yeah. last game and then get traded, right? Yeah, it's um, going to be Simmer at the Stadium Series. Yeah, Simmer at the Stadium. Exactly, exactly. So that's what it's that's what it looks like it's going to be to me. Um, I, I don't know. Uh, they do play Ottawa the next the next night in Ottawa. It's his hometown. I don't know. Maybe he does play that one, but uh, it's cer- I think it's certainly his last home game for sure. Yeah, I would agree with that. And you know, when you talk about what a team's getting with Giroux, you and I have always kind of been a lockstep on the player. Yeah. I know a lot of people like to blame him for the, the woes of the front office or what has surrounded him, uh, but you're talking about a guy Ant that um, is having a really good year mm-hmm. um, on a, on a really bad team, and the little things that he brings. I don't think a team's bringing him into penalty kill, but he could do it if he, if it was in a pinch. He obviously can play the power play and assimilate in that role as a distributor very quickly because as a distributor, it's easier to, to kind of assimilate and get guys pucks than have to be the guy that's getting the puck as a scorer. And then you couple that with this ability to win faceoffs. I mean, he won 19 of 21 in a game a couple days ago, which is an absurd number, over 90%. And you could use that faceoff guy in your D zone on a key defensive draw or an offensive zone draw in a tight game. I mean, he just brings everything to the table for a team. And I'm not a huge guy that believes that deadline deals make big differences because I just don't see that there's a lot of those cases. If you want to go all the way back to the Islanders in 1980, yeah, it worked out there with Butch Goring. But overall, I mean, you look at it and you go, it doesn't happen a lot, but he's a guy I think that kind of defies that. Yeah, a little bit. And especially I think for a, a, a team – you look at when you mentioned Florida and Carolina. Carolina's got a little bit of experience. Obviously, they went to the you know conference final, but um, uh, they are they're they're still in my mind a little young yeah. in, in a lot of ways. Like their best players are young, right? And so bringing in a veteran guy who can still play at Giroux's level could push that team over the top. And Florida, Florida's what have they ever done, right? I mean, yeah. they're highly talented team really really talented team but have never won anything never won never even gotten close um with with this group i should say i mean obviously they went to the finals in 96 but um but so yeah so like what has this group ever done nothing and so you add a Claude Giroux into that mix and then all of a sudden that could be the what it takes to you know put you over the top i mean colorado's i think a different animal because of, of what's there you know, that the talent level that's there and Giroux just becomes a piece with that yeah. group. But I think with a Florida or with a Carolina, he could certainly be the difference maker for a Stanley Cup run. Yeah, it could be an X factor. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, let me, it, I, you very rarely see players, high caliber players, get traded at the deadline in the final year of their deal and then return to the team where they played. Keith Kachuk did it in, I think, 04 when he got uh-huh. traded to Atlanta and yeah. then went back to St. Louis, also at 34 years of age. 
but it doesn't happen very often. Why, in your opinion, doesn't it happen? That it, that it works, you mean? I mean, or or the, that the, the guy comes that he comes back, you mean? That he doesn't come back because a lot of people go, well, trade him, get something for him, and then he'll just sign here in the yeah, office. But, but why they don't come back? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think they just I, move on. <laughs> yeah, I think it, I think it is. I mean, I think it's a situation where, well, first of all, the the, the thing is they're being traded because they want to try and win. Right. I mean, that's that's you're trying to do them a solid. He's a franchise icon. He's never had a chance to win. He's 34 years old. He wants to win a cup. Now, if he goes and wins a cup somewhere, now you have two two options. You sit there and go, do I resign with this team because it was awesome and I won the cup with them and let's go ahead and try it again next year full time? Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, maybe say, all right, I got my cup. Now I can go back, go play wherever I want. I can go go back to Philly if I want, or I go to uh, go play in Ottawa where, you know, we, ha- we live in the, in the off season, you know, I mean, maybe that's what you do, but more often than not, I think Jay is that these guys don't win when they get traded. I mean, it happens, but not for everybody. I mean, there's yeah. going to be a lot of guys traded before March 21st that aren't going to win a Stanley cup that yeah. teams think are going to help them win a Stanley cup. So at that point, you're going into free agency and you're like, okay, I didn't get it. I only got a couple more cracks at this. Do I really want to go back to the team that's kind of rebuilding and and just play out the career there, or do I want to find another team that I think can win and give it a, give it another go here before the before this my career is over? And I think that's why players more often than not don't go back to the original team. Yeah, I think that when you've been with a team as long as Claude has as well, fourteen years, right? Then all of a sudden, you know, you're in a fresh situation. I think, you know, he doesn't carry any of the baggage of those 14 years either going forward in a new city and where he is in his career now. He's not the name, you know, or the face on the marquee. Right. And there, there's a that's liberating, I would imagine, to a player. Um, the other part is that that notion of players going back to play in their hometown, like Drew would be Ottawa. Johnny Gaudreau would be here. But I always caution people. I, I I've talked to a lot of players and kind of the way they described to me, it's like, crossing the streams look at that little pun there for you for ghostbusters baby yeah crossing the streams with your hometown and your professional life you don't want to soil your hometown it's why mike trout loved coming to eagles games and getting a ball from carson wentz every week and never coming here though and having being looked objectified as a loser or didn't get it done because this is safe haven no matter what he does in his career yeah, it's interesting that you say that because I, I know um, a couple people who know Johnny and his family really well, and they say to me that he would come here at towards the end of his career. Yeah, you know, when it's almost over, kind of mm-hmm. like, hey, it'd be kind of neat to play at the end of my career, in my hometown kind of thing. Check the box, kind of right, exactly. Um, but that while he's in the prime of his career, he this is not his first choice. Yeah, um, and that's exactly what be you're a saying. Savior, right. You know? Right, right. It's yeah. This is not his first choice. Although the Flyers, I you know, I think that they're they're trying to position themselves in a situation, Jay, here for the off season where they have a lot of money to throw at free agents, and they're I think they're going to try what now what they accomplish is what they accomplish, but they're going to try to land not one but two big name free agents that are going to be out there. Of course, Goudreau is one of the top four forwards, I would say, probably, yeah. right? probably along with Forsberg, Kadri, uh, and um, Hurdle. I would think they're probably the four big forwards. Yep. Um, I think the Flyers are going to try to get two. So we'll, we'll see. We'll see. What, I mean, I guess a lot of it comes down to the you know, the money that they spend, but they're going to give it a shot. And, and with the, where they fall in with Ristolainen as well. Uh, yeah. You know, 
and the term they've used, we heard Chuck Fletcher use it initially, and then Danny Briere used the same term of, quote, high-end talent. Um, that, I mean, I absolutely agree with them. You're going to lose Drew most likely, and, you know, you need to you need high-end talent in this league. How do you get high-end talent? Well, you just mentioned those four guys. Um, I, I think Gaudreau fits the bill as high-end talent. I think Forsberg does as well. Hurdle, really good player, going to get paid. But I don't know that I would look at him as high-end talent. I need to, not only high-end talent, but I need excitement. Because I think Sean Couturier is high-end talent, but he's not an excitable player. Right. So I think they need that guy that gets people's ass out of the seat. Yeah, well, that uh, that player may also be out there that we just don't know is available via trade yet. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's something, you know, you know, we keep talking that at the deadline, they're going to be moving the unrestricted guys, right? We, we already talked about them, you know, and Justin Braun's probably going to get him a draft pick too. Um, but ultimately, I think that there's there are players under contract on this roster who are enticing to other teams who the Flyers could move and get something in return. Good old fashioned hockey trade, as they say. Mm-hmm. And that could be a player that is that high end talent. And we don't know who it is yet. Like we just like, oh, wow, I had no idea that team was trading such and such a player. Um, and you can get them for Travis Konechny, Morgan Frost, and something, right, or whatever you know the case yeah. might be. Um, you know, so I mean, I think that that you know that's a that's going to be a possibility too. So when you look at it, you know, okay, free agency, yeah, but so, some of these teams might have a player that they might look to move on from um, in the offseason via trade, and and Chuck might have just what it takes to get such a player. Yeah, and and you know the, the groundwork for those elements are are being laid down right now. Um, yeah. Last thing for you, um, I, I, actually two things. I want to get to Morgan Frost as well. We'll wrap with him, but um, roster construction is mm-hmm. like the name of the game. It has to. This puzzle has to fit together financially from a cap standpoint. Uh, you have to have talent, and the talent has to be able to play together. We had Craig Button on last Thursday, and Craig talked about you know the way to do that, and he he doesn't believe, and I agree with him. Scorched earth is not the way to do it because you see so many teams that have gone tear it down to the studs, scorched earth, play the kids, and they haven't gotten shit out of it. Because I mean, look at the team they're going to see tomorrow night, Edmonton. They got all the they have four number one overall picks. They picked in the top five in the NHL draft, six out of seven years, four times number one. They got the best person to ever, most talented hockey player to ever put skates on his feet in Connor McDavid. And they just fired their coach a couple weeks ago. <laughs> yeah. So I, I don't think that's the 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 route they're going to take. And I, I certainly don't think the Flyers are going to take that route. What's the way to do it? What's the way you, th- that they are going to do it? And what's the way they should do it? You know, so the, 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 the answer is, is you have to kind of, you kind of have to do a hybrid, right? You have to, you have to draft well. And develop. Uh, and, and develop your players. I mean, that's, a, that ha- that's an automatic in every sport, right? I mean, it has to be that for everybody. But you you also have to be able to be smart, make smart moves as far as bringing in players from elsewhere. And you have to do it. You have to retool. In a salary cap world, you almost have to retool every year, every two years anyway. And with the with the cap being flat, I mean, like you look at it this year. I mean, there's no – I mean, you might sit there and say, okay, Colorado is a favorite in the West and Tampa and Florida and Carolina are the favorites in the East. But I can I can give you like four or five other teams that I think have a real legitimate shot of going to the finals. This yeah. is probably as wide open a season as we've had in the NHL as maybe since 05-06 when we were first coming out of the 
the lockout and nobody quite understood how the salary cap and the new rules were going to work and all that shit, right? Pittsburgh, I mean, Vegas, Calgary could all win the cup. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I love Cal- I love the way Calgary's playing, right? Yeah. It reminds um, you of, of that 2012 Kings team when Daryl came in there. Yeah, it's a very, very similar. So, yep. so like, you know, any one of those teams, and that's that to me is 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 great. It's great for the sport. Yeah. But when you look at it, like you look at the teams, you say, "Oh, you got to blow it up and rebuild." Okay. Well, look at all the teams that blew it up at some point and where they are now. And like I look at Colorado as 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 like the the most damning of them all. I mean, Buffalo is probably the most damning of them all. They've just never they blew it up three times, right? They just haven't made the playoffs. But Colorado, they were the worst team in hockey in 0809, I think it was, or 0910, I forget which one of those years. Yeah. And that's when they drafted Landeskog, right? First. Yep. Um, then they draft McKinnon and Rantanen. And then down the road in 07, they get McCarr. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, 17, they get McCarr. Um, and, uh, and and yet, you know, you're building and building, but they haven't been even been to the final. Yeah. So when they were the worst the team, second round, <laughs> they were the worst team in the league 12 years ago. Yeah. And got generational players yep. and are still not reached the final. There's no guarantee that that works. And I don't understand this mentality. And I know it's a, I know it's a generational thing. I know it's this, it's a millennial thing and Gen Z thing. I don't know why Jay, that they, that these kids believe in it. They believe that this thing is these process fucking nerds with the, with the Sixers. Where's that gotten them? And and I'm rooting for, I think that they have a shot this year. They have a shot to go to the final now, right? Finally. But it took how long? And how many mistakes along the way? From yes. Nerland's Noel to Jaleel Okafor yeah, you, to Markel Fultz. you got to get it. you got to be. If you're going to do that, you've got to hit on every one. Yeah, and you can't. You, they're kids. And, if, and kids. if you don't, and, that, and the difference with hockey from basketball is in basketball, they come right into the league and play. Yeah. In hockey, you're waiting three, four years before they're in the NHL. And then they still have to become that star player. Yeah. So it takes five, six years. Right. So, I mean, I, I I don't see it working in hockey. I just don't think it works in hockey. I think teams do tear down and, and try to build. But I think they do that. Like I look at an Ottawa, for example, they've got kids coming. Yeah. And I think that they're, you know, and the, the Rangers got lucky. Everybody wants to say, well, look at the Rangers did. It. The Rangers did it. Yeah. The Rangers got lucky because one of the best players in the league wanted to play in New York and in, in our Timmy Panarin and Adam and Fox became I mean, who knew what he was? I mean, where he was, he was what fourth round draft pick or whatever he was. And he forced his way to the Rangers as well. Forced his way there, right? Yeah. I mean, they their top picks haven't even been important for them. Third line, you know. And Shostakin became a Shostakin became a, a star goalie overnight. Like so, I mean, the Rangers got a little lucky in that regard. So, so you know, and they're not. There's no guarantee with them either. I mean, they're they're good, but they're not definitely going to be a Stanley Cup team, right? Yeah, they give um, up a lot. They yeah. really Shesterkin's masked a lot for them and yeah. Yeah, that's sustainable is the question. But you you're totally right. I look at teams like what the Kings have done, maybe the Ducks to some extent. It's been, it wasn't a teardown, but it was a it was a recoil and they made some good draft picks. Yeah. You, know, you look at Byfield, you with LA, you look at and some savvy moves and then you look at, you know, Zegris and Jamie Drysdale for Anaheim. Like they, those aren't teardowns. Yeah. They weren't very good for a couple of years, but that's not tearing it down. Right. And I'll say this final thing on it is that, you know, everybody sits there and says, well, why, why would you trust Chuck Fletcher and Brent Flair, uh, you know, drafting these players? And I look at it and I say, well, you know what? Again, it takes time for these players, but look at that Minnesota wild team right now. Yeah. 
pretty darn good team. It's pretty darn good team. Half that team was drafted or acquired by Chuck and Brent, and he's been gone from there for four years. Yeah. And half that team is his team. Yeah. Now, granted, they've added some players that have helped. There's no doubt. But I think it's nine or ten guys in their regular lineup were guys that they either drafted or – I mean, um, Spurgeon wasn't a, wasn't a draft pick, but he never signed with the Islanders, and he had never played a game in the NHL, and Chuck gave him a contract. Yeah, Chuck. Gave him an NHL contract. Too. Yeah, and, uh, I know. So, I mean, I mean, that's why I look at it. I say, you know what, guys? Maybe they're not so bad at drafting as you think they are. It's like giving Hexy credit right now for what's going on in Pittsburgh. Right. <laughs> you know what right. I mean? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's kind of set before he got there. Yeah. It, it takes a long time to to judge a general manager's moves. And I mean, look at Kippersoff. Was that fifth round pick? Yeah. I mean, Kaprizov. I was yeah. talking to Chuck about him the other the other day. I said, I'm always on Mika Kippersoff. I can't get out of <laughs> yeah. that early mentality. And I said to him, I said, when did, when did you know that he was going to be this good? And he said, you want to be, he goes, I'm going to be honest with you. He said, we had no idea when we drafted him. We liked a lot of what he had. He said, but we didn't think the skating was going to be there. And we didn't know if it would ever come. Yeah. He said his first, his second year with us in Minnesota, all of a sudden he could skate. He said, it just came out of the blue. We didn't know where it came from. And we're like, this kid's got superstar potential now. Yeah. And now he's a top 15 player in the league. Wow, that's great. Yeah, he is it, unreal. And they didn't know. He said, yeah. we didn't know. He said, we liked the skill. We took a chance in the fifth, fifth round, you know, and, and it worked out. He then all of a sudden, the dude can skate like the wind. And yeah. you go, you go. we don't know where it came from, but we're not asking. We don't give a shit. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. We're pretty thrilled about it. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, yeah. Last thing, Morgan Frost was just sent back down to the AHL. Yeah. Um, you know, Mike, you know, the, the, there's been a lot of criticism on the way Morgan Frost has been developed. Um, and being used and deployed. I'd like to see him play with more skilled players too. obviously get power play time. I think make him feel good about what he does well. Um, but there has been a focus on, you know, details of his game. We talked to Brent Flair last week on this podcast and, you know, talking about, you know, the little things that he needs to do about like moving your feet when you have the puck even um, because you can't make those plays at the NHL level where you kind of stand still and can just kind of sauce it across to a guy. Um, you just don't have that time in the league. What what do they do with Morgan Frost? It, how disappointed are you in where he's at right now? Yeah, I mean he's he's certainly behind. There's no doubt he's he's behind, and I mm-hmm. I don't think that they're completely completely soured on him, like to the point where it's like, all right, we're done with this guy. But I don't think he's he's untouchable anymore. Um, I kind of thought that that was he was one of those assets that they wanted to kind of bring along and not move in the past. And now I think if the right deal comes along, they, they would. Um, I, the problem for me with Morgan Frost is an entitlement. And it's something that happens with young players far too often in the sense that they know they're skilled. They know they got talent and they want to rely specifically on that skill and talent to carry them. And it can, it works at lower levels, right? When you're playing junior hockey or you're playing in the AHL, you can kind of get away with that a little bit, but, yeah. but your skill and your talent is not going to carry you at all times in the national hockey league. And at that point, that's where you have to understand what it takes to be a pro. And what it takes to get to that and, and sustain it at that level. And you're going to have to do, start doing things that you didn't like doing before. Yeah. Right. And it's going to require you to play a certain style of game that maybe you don't particularly like playing. And, you know, people are going to criticize that the Flyers are trying to change Morgan Frost. They're not. They're not trying to change what he does well. They're trying to make him play away the way he needs to play in order to be a full time player at the NHL level. And Frost just hasn't really 
embraced that. And every time he gets sent down, he kind of throws a little hissy fit about it. Like he doesn't feel like that that's where he should be developing. And guess what, man? That's what the American Hockey League's for. That's where you develop. You don't develop at the National Hockey League because you're going to keep making the same mistakes over and over and over again, and they're going to get exposed at that level. So you can't do it. you got to learn at a lower level and come back up. I think he will get it eventually. Ask Scott Lawton who yeah. went and spent a year after a couple of years in the NHL. Yeah. Spent a year with the Phantoms to go, okay, this is the player I got to be at the NHL level because yeah. I can't be. Yeah. No. And, and they're not asking him to be a Scott Lawton. I mean, no. I, I don't want, I mean, the reason and he's Lawton not, didn't put up the numbers he did in junior right. either, but still. Right. I mean, but that, and that's the other thing. I mean, people are like, oh, they want to turn him into a third line or fourth line guy. They don't. They don't want him to be that at all. They don't want him playing. But at this point, he can't play top two lines in the NHL right now. He can't be he'll be overexposed. Yeah. So they can't play him there. It'll be Too terrible for him. It'll be Too terrible for his development. So they gotta play him down in the American League at that, you know, and play on those top lines down there and get back to the NHL and then give it another shot. I think he's gonna get another chance this year. Yeah. I think they're gonna give him maybe another 10, 15 games and see what happens. And and then hopefully he he gets it. Hopefully he figures it out. If not, maybe he's one of those guys you move in the summer. Yeah, as part of some package or yeah. a, a hockey trade, and yeah. you know, teams are looking for players on entry level contracts. I know that in a flat cap world. Yep, they they have more value, high skill, uh, high upside, lo- ELC money is a huge carrot for teams. And, and especially if you're a smaller market team yep. that doesn't spend to the cap, doesn't make a lot in revenue from your from your you know people coming in. You know, maybe he's the kind of player that you say, okay, we can play him in the top two lines at the NHL level because we're not spending that kind of money while the cap is flat. Yep. Yeah. Maybe that, and that works for them, right? I mean, look, I mean, look, I mean, look what's happening in Arizona. They're going to be playing in a 5,000 seat arena. That's an embarrassment to the sport. Okay. But it is a joke. But I mean, there's a team, there's no way they're spending $81 million next year, right? No shot. No chance. No shot. So what do you do? Who's playing on your top in your top six? You're going to be playing guys on entry level contracts in your top six. Well, the the other thing too is, first of all, I kick them out of the revenue share if I'm the other owners in the league, yeah, because they haven't earned it. At number one, number two, there is a player I'm really interested in there, Jake Chikrin, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm really interested. Yeah. In like, because because I look at Provorov, I go, okay, if, when Toronto fails again. I'm grabbing that guy with six points the other night, Marner, four goals. Yeah. <laughs> and, and there's my high-end talent. I'm sending, you know, Frost, Provorov, and, and maybe some other, you know, prospect uh, to Toronto, and I'm getting Mitch Marner out of there because you, they have Austin Matthews and they have John Tavares. They have names on, and faces if, on the market. If Mitch Marner was available for Frost Prov- and Provorov plus a third prospect, yep. I don't care who the third prospect is. Nope. I don't. I don't. I don't care who the third prospect is. It could be your next best guy. York. I don't care. Cam York. You want to be Cam York? Go ahead. Let it be Cam York. Whoever I need Mitch Marner. For, Forster. You want it to be Forster? Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Whoever you want it to be. Right. I'll take it. I'll sure. take Mitch Marner. Yep. Me too. Because because players like that usually are not attainable in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. Very simple. exactly. Exactly. So and this was awesome, man. Thanks for doing it. Back to work Anytime. for you. Back to work for me. Um, yep. This was great. Check out Ann's stuff on uh, at Crossing Broad. And uh, the uh, Snow the Goalie podcast. We appreciate the time as always, brother. I'll see you at the rink tomorrow night. Yeah, sounds good. See you tomorrow night, Jack. There he is. Anthony Sanfilippo joining us on 
Park Sportsbook presents Stick to Hockey Live. Great conversation. Ant and I talk all the time, and he's a great guy and uh, has been covering the sport a long time. And um, we see things very similarly. That's not why we talk a lot, though, but we do see a lot of elements of the game very similarly. Maybe it's generational as well, both roughly the same age. Uh, let me tell you about Park Sportsbook because you got to download the app. Download the app. Start checking it out right on your iPhone, right on your Android. Start checking it out, perusing around. You got huge, huge college hoops coming up with the tournament. You've got all the uh, hockey action, all of it, pro hoops, all of it to get your action in on. So check it out. Just grab it and start looking around. Do some perusing. As soon as you feel ready, I'm telling you, open up an account, deposit, first bet, risk-free up to $500. It's that simple. We're not going to give you any promo code or any extra hoops to jump through. Just again, download the app. Check it out. See all the different things that you can play, all the different ways you can get action on the game. This isn't just like old school, like, hey, uh, I'll take this football team minus six. It's not like that anymore. It's all these different props and player part, player performances and goals and points and assists and first to score, last to score, to score, exact score on games in hockey. There's so many different cool things to to get it on over unders on point totals in game, it just all all kinds of stuff. You're gonna be you're gonna gonna be like, oh my god! Plus live play by play in game betting is awesome. It, sometimes you don't feel comfortable before a game. I don't have a feel on it, right? Well, you start to watch. You watch the first period. You watch the first quarter, and you go, okay, now I feel like I got a feel. Let me see what's out there to get in on the action in game. You got to check it all out. It's all there on the Park Sportsbook app, and it's simple to use. You're not going to be overwhelmed. So check it out. You can bet as little or as much as you like. Get that $500 risk-free bet. If you want to just dip your toe in, do a little bets here and there just to kind of get a feel, go for it. Low risk, high reward. You're going to love it. So check it out. The Park Sportsbook app. Again, download it on your phone and uh, open up an account, deposit, first bet, risk-free up to $500. And make sure you follow Parks on all the social channels. There you're going to get great content. There you're going to get daily specials. And uh, did I mention great content? You get this podcast. You get RGs with Harry Mays and myself. You get Natalie Eganoff, Sam Wilson, Matt Alba, Rich Gannon, Alvy Alvarez. It's blah, blah, blah. It's on and on. So great stuff there at Park Sportsbook on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook as well. And uh, get in on the action and make sure you download the Park Sportsbook app and our fine sponsor of Park Sportsbook Presents Stick to Hockey Live. That's episode 25. Everybody, enjoy your Monday. We'll be back Thursday. Another brand new episode right here. So thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Subscribe. Leave us a rating and review. We would appreciate it very much. And we'll talk to you next time on Park Sportsbook Presents. Stick to hockey.